Alright, uh, is this working? Oh. No, yeah, that's... Huh. Alrighty, then. That's... Is it gonna... What? Alright, okay, then. Well... So we're going to do that. Oh, alrighty. I did turn the mic off, Flynn. Okay. Uh, so, we are going to talk about love today. Uh, so, I love my mom and I love my dog. Uh, I love. You don't have a dog. I love our dog. Uh, and I love my friends, and I love computers. Uh, my mom loves me, the son she birthed and cared for for over 20 years now, and the coffee she brewed this morning. <laughs> At least I'm assuming she brewed coffee this morning. I wasn't there. Uh, love is an overused and kind of a vague word, especially in our English language. Uh, there's no, there's no one-word solution to express the different kinds of love. So we're going to explore that today uh, in the Bible. Uh, first, I'd like to uh, pray real quick. Dear Lord, thanks for us being able to gather here as a church today, for us being able to do Sunday school and to review, uh, for us to be able to sing worship uh, and to freely uh, express our religion uh, that we gained on Independence Day. Uh, be with uh, the words that are said today by me, by uh, Larry, and uh, by our vocalists uh, to uh, be remembered and for us to carry those the rest of our lives, and especially the week. In your name I pray. Amen. So, um... Love is an interesting topic, especially uh, from a Christian perspective. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have been taught uh, the difference and the biblical perspective, but since we've gained some new people here in the church, uh, and uh, because it's just a good topic to go over and have a reminder on, uh, we're going to go over it today. Uh, and, but hopefully we're going to do it in an interesting way uh, that isn't too boring. But it's not going to be easy. Uh, the word love actually is used in our translation uh, 759 times. Uh, actually, it looks like it's the most of most common translations, uh, so it's going to be a little hard, and it's going to be make it more complicated that the Bible was written in two different languages, Hebrew and Greek, and uh, I don't know either of those languages. So, But we're going to try to go over that, and I think that the Hebrew and the Greek can give us a cool understanding of the words. Uh, so let's first start with like what worldly love is, what the, what the dictionary would define love as. I looked it up, and it was like a feeling or an emotion or a desire. Uh, is, is, I, I, I kind of thought of it like butterflies in the stomach, that kind of stuff you see on TV and movies. But uh, if we apply that idea of love to the Bible, we're going to get horribly confused. Such in, uh, in Matthew 5, 43 through 46, it says, You have heard that the law says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. How am I supposed to feel like the butterfly you love for an enemy, for someone who's wronged me? Like, how am I supposed to get that warm fuzzy for, for someone who's, who's done me wrong. Uh, you, I don't think you can. I think that's where it's going to get confusing. But Matthew actually gives us the answer. It's not, it's not feeling. It's an, it's an action. You know, pray for those who persecute you. We're supposed to bless them, pray for them, and do them good. Uh, it's an action-based, kind of like the saying, love is a verb. So let's dig into the Bible. Uh, so, uh, so most people will know uh, the four types of love in the Bible. But those aren't the Old Testament. Uh, and I think most people don't know that because the Old Testament is a lot more complicated. Uh, so we're going to start with some of these Old Testament words. The first one we're going to talk about is Ahava. 
it's Hebrew, uh, or it might be more correctly pronounced, Weahavata. It means love. Uh, its root verb is ahim or ahiv, and it means parental, brotherly, respectful, or uh, loyal love. It's very similar to our English word of love. But unlike English, there's all these alternate versions. So we're going to look at the one alternate version of ahava. It's used four times in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about three of them. Uh, the first one is we are called to ahava your God. Ahava your God. That's found in Deuteronomy 6.5, uh, which says, And you must ahava the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Uh, that's from the Shema. It's a daily prayer of ancient Israelites. Uh, it would have been a tradition. They would have said it probably multiple times a day. And it would have been very similar to our the Lord's Prayer that we say, uh, or should could say frequently. Uh, it teaches to love God. It's a commandment to Ahava, your Lord, your God. And then uh, it's used again in Leviticus. Uh, it says, Ahava, your neighbor. Leviticus 19.18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but Ahava, your neighbor, as yourself. I am the Lord. So, uh, Ahava, God, Ahava, your neighbor. Christ points to these as uh, one of the most important commandments in Mark 12. He says, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and only Lord. And you must love your Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Secondly, is equal, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So love God, love others. Super important. So when you're talking about this ahava, your neighbor, a lot of commentaries are going to mention your neighbor is going to be a person close to you, someone in your community, someone who is similar. But in Leviticus, later on in Leviticus, Leviticus 19, it says to ahava a stranger. To, it says, do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and ahava them as you love yourself. Remember that they were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the, that you were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So we're called to love God, to love our neighbors, but also to love strangers or as a commentary might point out people who are not like you. We're called to love them because they were, we were once like them. We have all been sinners or maybe addicts or hateful people. So we should show love to them. We should ahava God and uh, people. And God has this ahava for us. In Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8, uh, an alteration of the word, the noun version of ahava says, I was not, it was not because you were more in numbers than the other people that the Lord sent his love for you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people, but it's because the Lord, I'm going to say, try to say this word, ahaba you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Israel. So um, God has this ahava for us as well. And to kind of define this ahava, to kind of explain what this love is like, I think Song of Solomon or Song of Psalms, Song of Songs would fit pretty well uh, how they write about it. And I've always wanted to use Song of Songs in, in, in a sermon or out. So it just, this is fun. Uh, so it says, Song of Songs beautifully paints the meaning of Ahava. It says, Many waters cannot quench Ahava, nor can a river drown it. If a man tried to buy Ahava with all of his wealth, his offer would be utterly scorned. So it's this super cool idea of love, this all-encompassing love. 
So my first point is uh, we're to ahava God and people, neighbors and strangers alike. We're commanded to love God and people, uh, but we're not the first ones who love. We love because God loved. We love because God first created and showed us undying and powerful love. God describes himself as possessing love also. He uses a different word. Uh, Chesed in Exodus, he says, The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and fulfilled with chesed and faithfulness. And I love how uh, in, the, in all of our, tra- in this translation, in the translations, it always puts an adjective in front of love, unfailing love. Anytime they use chesed, it's always got this cool adjective, and we'll see that later on. So this, this, this word means loyal love. It combines the idea of love, of generosity, and of enduring commitment. Uh, and those are complicated topics, but they're so they're complexly intertwined in such a beautiful word of kesed. It's a promise-keeping loyalty motivated by deep personal care. Another example would be uh, Ruth showed kesed. It says uh, in Ruth 3.10, The Lord blessed you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more kesed now than you did before, for you have not gone after a young man, whether rich or poor. So Ruth shows this family loyalty, this chesed, and it, it's not conditional or, or based on worth. It was an expression of Ruth's character. It's just who she was. She just showed love to people, and that's a lot like God. God's love originates from his character. God loved because he is love. In First John, it says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who, love, who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It's like a rock. You pick up a rock, it's always going to be hard. It, it's, it's just a hard rock. It doesn't choose to be sturdy, and it doesn't choose to one day become like a jello. It's just strong. It's part of it. It's like a rock is you know, hard. God is love. It's just a part of him. And we need to love others because God loved first. Some more examples of uh, this word would be uh, Jacob felt he was not worthy of God's chesed. But Jacob didn't have to be worthy because it's not based on worth. It's not conditional. It's a display of God's generosity, of his promise, and of God's love. Some other instances would be the whole book of Psalms 136, which reads at the end of every line, his chesed is forever. Another example would be in Isaiah 54.10. It says, for the mountains may move and the hills may disappear, but then my, my chesed for you will remain. My covenant of blessings will never be broken, says the Lord who has mercy on you. So uh, my second point would be that God has his unconditional, infinite love. God's chesed is an unearned yet completely without end. It is part of him and an aspect of his self. God loves, so we should love God and uh, remember that we should love others. But what does love really look like? Like, what is it? If it's not a feeling, what, like, what does it mean? Well, uh, we can look to one of the most popular forms of love that God has uh, given us, which is marriage. And marriage, simply put, from a theological perspective, is the union is a symbol of the union of Christ and the church. That's very simply put. Ephesians five twenty five through uh, twenty nine says, "For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her." to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates their own body, but cares, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cared for the church. So this verse talks about how husbands are called to love their wives like Christ did the church. 
to love their wife by helping her be clean and holy, by serving and protecting her, and by bringing her glory. But Christ didn't feel like this stereotypical love attraction to the church. Uh, Christ served the church, and Christ died for the church. God calls husbands to love with actions, to to hold up their wives and treat them like their own bodies. You don't feel a feeling of love for your body, or at least you shouldn't. Uh, You care for it. So we need to show love through action. Love God by fearing him, by walking in his ways, by serving him, and keeping his commandments. We should reflect God's love by loving and helping others. And love is also obedience. And we're called to love and obey. Exodus says, excuse me. Oh, that's not the right one. Uh, but I lavish jested for thousands of generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. And there's plenty of other verses in the Bible that will talk about how uh, obedience obeying is good and is part of love. Uh, and then there's also the saying, you know, love fulfills the law. That comes from Romans and Galatians. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligations to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. And then in Galatians 5.14, it says, For the whole law can be summed up in one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. By loving others, we are obeying the law, we are securing the unfailing love of God, and we are fulfilling Christ's goal. If we follow God's commandments, if we obey, then it should look like love. So my third point here would be that uh, love is action and fulfills the law. Like a husband and a wife, we should love with actions. And if we love everyone with actions, we will fulfill the law and do no wrong. Uh, and so this is where, that's that. those are all my Hebrew words. There's a lot more Hebrew words for love. Very complicated. And we're going to move on to the uh, the Greek words now in the New Testament. Uh, but first I want to remind everyone of Chase's last message. He talked about creating masterpieces and art, uh, which is great because I was actually planning on implementing art into my message. So he's built you guys up. I don't have to explain that too much now because uh, he already mentioned it. So here's a picture that draws inspiration from my next topic, the Greek word for love, or the Greek words for love. Uh, the four Greek words for love uh, were popularized by C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, released in 1960. Uh, he introduces the four loves based in the Bible from the four Greek words for love, and it's uh, probably the most popular uh, form of you know love, the popular version of love. Because uh, when I asked my mom how many types of love there were in the Bible, she said four, and I told her she was wrong. And, <laughs> and I love doing that. It's so much fun. Uh, but she, and probably most of you, when, if, if asked, you know, how many, lo- what, what, how, much lo- how many words for love are there in the Bible, would have said four, thinking of the Greek words. So we're going to go through those four words now. Uh, and so about this, this picture uh, on the screen, I actually drew it. Uh, I really like to draw. Uh, this tablet is one of my favorite things I own because it means I can draw things like this. Uh, when I draw, I like to put meaning into my drawings uh, to put uh, as a reminder to myself of something or of a topic. Uh, and it's just fun to like express yourself in a form of art, which is kind of what we were talking about last week. So uh, I'm going to go through the meaning that I put in this image because its meaning goes hand in hand with my message. So first off, we're going to start with uh, the hand and the water. 
the water in this image represents love. It represents the idea of love. The water is in everything. It's in the sky. It's in the birds and the rainbow and the water droplets all in the image. Uh, the hand reaches to collect the love, and then the love overflows into two streams. If we fill ourselves with this love, then we can spread it uh, around. Uh, the water helps the beautiful flower grow in the palm of the hand. Uh, so love, the love is creating this flower. The love is beautiful, and the love is amazing. But the love also, from a human standpoint, can be dangerous, uh, as represented by the mountains uh, that erode with the water and carve canyons and rivers into the earth. So water is both this beautiful thing that can create life and is in everything, but is also could be dangerous if uh, could be dangerous how it's used. So this water represents the love. Uh, so first, the first word we're going to go over uh, is storg. Storg? I should have learned how to pronounce these. I worked really hard on the Hebrew ones and then kind of just thought I'd get these ones. So uh, this word actually is not in itself used in the New Testament in the Bible. Uh, it's used to make a few words, and its opposite is used in Romans and, Timoth- Romans and 2 Timothy to describe people as unloving. Uh, and it means family affection or familial love. I represented it with a tree for a family tree, a quiver, because uh, there's a quiver leaning against the tree because uh, children are like arrows in a man's quiver, that verse. And uh, the vine represents Christ. Christ is the vine. Vines are found on trees, and it shows God in the family, on the family tree as a part of it. And then I wrote I wrote the word in on the drawing on all of them. And so the word storge is right there on the bottom left of the root. The next word we're going to go through is eros. Uh, again, not used in the Bible, but its concept is found in other parts of the Bible. It's a sensual love between husband and wife. Uh, and actually, I don't believe it's anywhere in any, in any form in the New Testament. Uh, although that's not to say that the, com- the concept isn't biblical. A Hebrew, ro- a Hebrew word, dode, has a similar meaning and would present similar topics. Another Hebrew ro- word, raya, is uh, a compassion or a soulmate kind of love. And of course, ahava is an unquenchable love. So... The idea of Eros is biblical. Uh, it's represented by a dove, a common symbol of marriage. Two birds for two partners and holding an olive branch, uh, like the story of Noah, representing the promise of love and linking their love of marriage in the love of God. Uh, the word is in the belly of the right dove, which you can't see, actually. Uh, the next love, the third Greek love, is philai. Uh, it means brotherly love or uh, love of equals with common goals or, most commonly, a, uh, a close friendship. Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, gets its word from that, the city of brotherly love. That's what Philadelphia means. And the opposite of philai is phobia. Uh, The most general form, this is the most general form used in the Bible, and it encompasses care, respect, and compassion for people. It's most used for love of each other, such as in Hebrews 13, 1 through 2. It says, let Philadelphia, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hostility to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Uh, uh, God calls us to be a special kind of family to show this, you know, brotherly kind of love. He says, so now Gentiles, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And, you know, so family, brotherly love. We are this special kind of brotherhood, I would say. Uh, this is a family unlike any other who are to show love to any and everybody, a brotherhood of love. Uh, in the drawing of Philae, I represented love with water, continuing the metaphor from before. 
Uh, in the top right of the droplet, there is an atom, which is the, one of the smallest elements in the universe, and then a galaxy, which is massive, to represent that the this brotherly love is for the smallest to the largest, uh, is for everyone. And then the word is in the left drop, which you can kind of see. Okay, and then, so now we move on to the final and the most important form of love uh, in the New Testament is the agape love. It's an others-focused, self-giving love. It's a uniquely Christian word that is hardly used in any other Greek text. It's an ultimate sacrifice of perfect, endless love that God unconditionally has for people. It's that simple. Well, uh, not really. Agape has 143 occurrences and is super important. But I think I can get away with summarizing and showing the agape love in just one verse. In John 3.16, For God so agape the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the kind of love that no one can measure up to. That's the love that no one, none of us can produce, a love that no one has earned, the kind of love that leaves the 99 for the one, the kind of love that, forgets his, that forgives his adulterous people who worship idols. That's the kind of love that sees corrupt nefarious corners of humanity and died for it. That's the kind of love that reaches into the stone and crust-hardened hearts to renew and save. That's the kind of love that inspires the art on the screen, the music that we heard this morning, inspires the passion of the church, the chaos of floating homemade rafts down the Neosho, the community projects for kids of, who need shoes, and the crazy people who are going a week in Colorado. <laughs> I represented the agape love in my drawing with a rainbow, an example of God's promise, uh, everlasting promise, and of his love. The word is above the rainbow, and there's a little arc drawing in between the yellow and green. In my last detail here, when, when kind of why I mentioned it is because uh, of this word in the hand. Uh, when I was researching for drawing this, because I had to make sure I was spelling everything right, I found a word, a word that I think everyone should know. It's philostorgos. And it's only found once in our biblical canon in the New Testament in Romans 12.10. It says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Philostorgos, each other. Love each other. That's what it means. Uh, that word, the love that we are to show each other, is a combination of philo and storgos of family, and of brotherly love. I think it's the ultimate love that we should show. It's such a cool and powerful word, in my opinion. The love of a brother at arms and the love of a lifelong bond. And it's trying to, it's one word symbolizing all of that. So my, my, my third point here is agape and philostorgos. God's love is so amazing for us. And our love for each other should be equally passionate but different. And the love of a wife is different. You know, a love of a wife is different than a friend or of God. And all of those are important in their own way. But the ultimate commandments are to love your God, because God loved us, agape, and to love others, philostorgos. I think it's important to understand the difference between these words and then our stereotypical definition of love, of a feeling, emotion. This is a sacrificial love. This is a love of action. God's love is beyond scale, even hard to comprehend. That's the agape. And then our love is supposed to be uh, very similar to that. Philostorgos. So I've talked and probably said the word love a lot. Uh, and I mentioned a bit about what love is, but I want to conclude with uh, this one final verse 
that kind of sums up love really well in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, and is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Love is an action. It's patient. It's humble. It's calming. It's forever. It celebrates truth. It's hopeful. It's enduring. Did I already say forever? It's forever. Love is service, not a fuzzy feeling. Uh, love is a selfless and caring, not transactional. And God is so full of love. Uh, he commands us to love him, and we are to also love other people. God's love for us is unconditional and infinite without any condition. Uh, let's see. Love is an action uh, that we should, you know, we should do that action. And by doing that, it will fulfill the law. We should mimic that love in our own lives. And uh, it's also obedience. God died to give us everlasting life because he loved us. So I drew this picture uh, to remind me of all, all of that. Uh, it's a lot to remind me of. Uh, I drew it to remind me that there are different kinds of love, that love is so powerful, that God should be involved in all types of love, and that uh, the love God designed is so beautiful. But I've learned a lot more in the preparation of the sermon, that love is an action, love is a service, love is doing things for people, and love is not expecting something in return. So as you continue through your life, I think it's important to remember uh, that, what love is and what it should look like. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the love that you gave us for sending your son and dying on the cross for us. Uh, thank you for the lessons of forgiveness and for the forgiveness that you showed to us. Uh, thank you for all that you have given. Be with the kids as they're up in uh, Colorado. Be with them to be safe and to return home and for us to go home comforted knowing that uh, you will never forsake us. 